It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It's a wonderful Sunday night, Las Vegas. Welcome on in. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13.40 AM. Tim Unglesby and Mr. Brian with you here, of course, in Las Vegas, Nevada, where either you're driving home from the game, you're, you're from driving home from the bar, the restaurant, wherever you watched it. Maybe you're at home checking it out, listening to the show over at LV Sports Network. We thank you for listening, number one. But the big news here in Las Vegas tonight, the Las Vegas Raiders have qualified for the NFL postseason by virtue of a, just an incredible, amazing, exciting overtime win over at Allegiant Stadium. 35-32, they knock off the rival L.A. Chargers to book their ticket to Cincinnati where they'll face the Bengals next week in the first round of the playoffs and we're going to break this game down for you. We're going to look at all the matchups in the playoffs here in the next two hours. I'm going, to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm joined by radio personality tonight, Chris Wynn. Chris, are you with us? Tim, I'm with you. Can you hear me? Right. Wow. There you go, baby. There you what go. What a finish. <clears throat> Unbelievable, Unreal right? Unreal finish, right, to the – 2021-22 NFL season. What a way to go down. You know, we're going to really look into the the matchups and the game itself and the Raiders. Just it, It's been a crazy season for Vegas. And, and uh, you know, it started all week one, Chris. I was there week one, Ravens-Raiders. And just an incredible overtime football game that they win by a field goal. And it bookends with an incredible overtime game. They win with a field goal here at week 18. So, 18 weeks, you book in two wins in overtime by field goal Danny Carlson. And what's it get you? It gets you a trip to Cincinnati next week, Chris. No question about it, Tim. And uh, it was kind of interesting how this all unfolded here at the end of this football game. Obviously, a lot to talk about regarding what went down to regulation and, and kind of our analysis of this game. But just, uh, just kind of focus on that sequence there. I don't understand what the Los Angeles Chargers were thinking, Tim. What are they doing? Why would you call a timeout there? Makes absolutely Might have to reconnect, Chris. Yeah, it was it was a, a Staley, a bonehead play. There were, there are a couple there, and, and there's been a couple this year that Brandon Staley's made, Mr. Analytics, that have cost the Chargers football games. And you know what? They're really magnified in the situation that what did it cost them tonight? It cost them a trip to the playoffs, essentially, right? Um, again, missed field goal earlier in the game by, by the Chargers. A lot of mistakes that get magnified in, the, in these games, especially when they're this close, especially when there's so much on the line. And um, I'm not an analytics guy myself. Uh, my own team... I'm a Ravens fan. My own team, Harbaugh, loves him, and he's he cost himself two wins this year, going by analytics, right? But it is what it is. It's part of sports, and that's um, that's the way it is. But it, in my opinion, did it 
potentially, well, obviously it potentially costs the Chargers tonight. Uh, we just won't know, right? We just we can't blame it all on that. But the Raiders came to play tonight from the beginning, uh, early 10 nothing lead. And then it was just kind of back and forth at that point. And, and to, you know, to the Chargers' credit, down double digits in the fourth quarter to come back. And that last drive they put together in the fourth quarter to tie the game up, just a you know, Herbert, when you look at Justin Herbert, and I'm not, t- I'm not trying to shine away from what the Raiders did tonight, just to real quickly from my, my point of view, Justin Herbert will be a superstar in the National Football League. He will be a superstar. Mark my words on that. But, hey, the Raiders win. The Raiders are in. Chris, you back with us. Not yet. That's okay. So let's kind of let's look at the, the, the trip here for the Las Vegas Raiders on their way to the playoffs. Chris Bryant. I think I got you back, Tim. All right, there you Sorry, go. There you go. Disconnection. I was going to say, um, you, you brought up the just the analytics play. But I don't know if you caught the, the, caught the, the, I don't know if you caught the monster portion of my rant, but I basically was just saying that I just don't understand what the Chargers were thinking. It was not a, a good decision in any way, shape, or form to call that time out there at the end of the game. It made no sense. It potentially cost them the football game, correct? <clears throat> well, it cost them a football game, but obviously it cost them a chance to go to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they were not in an advantageous situation there, right? The Raiders were on the, you know, on the outskirts of field goal range. It was, it looked like all intents and purposes, the Raiders were going to try to get the first down, which would have put them in field goal range. But then, you know, the, but then this charges you call a timeout there? I mean, I mean, I get what, what you know, the uh, broadcasters are saying on, on the telecast, saying, well, you know, maybe the Chargers wanted to get the ball back. But I, at that point in the game, with only 30 seconds left, what is your objective, right? I mean, is your objective here the Chargers to go and win the game when you don't even have the ball yet? I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I thought it was a ridiculous decision by Brandon Staley and company. And, and when it, it cost them a, a chance to go to the playoffs. Yeah. A, tie, a tie would have been sufficient. Tie would have been sufficient. Yep. Let's look at the road for the Raiders to to the playoffs here. After a just shellacking back in early December at Kansas City, they basically <clears throat> Raiders were out, right? So in in the in the last four games, which they had to win to stay alive, they knock off the Browns on the road by two. They beat Denver at home by four. They hit back out on the road against Indianapolis, win by a field goal, and then tonight another field goal win. Just a crazy season for them, Chris. I don't, I don't know if we want to kind of dive into necessarily to everything that we've witnessed this franchise go through this year, and there's a lot of bad things. But just the last four games itself, uh, never, you know, what is it? Can't can't lose an attitude, and, and that's what they got today. Can it continue? I don't know if it continues next week, but it's been a hell of a run for them. No question about it, Tim. This is a team that uh, has faced just an unprecedented amount of adversity on every level this entire season and yes there were so many spots during the year where he thought okay they're dead and buried right they're done there's not they're not going to be able to bounce back from this or they're not going to be able to put themselves in a position where they can come back and uh you know when you got you know regular season losses to the likes of the you know the new york giants and uh and you know and to uh teams like the chicago bears games like that it almost makes you wonder, you know, the Raiders, I mean, what, what are we talking about here? What are we doing? You know, and so pretty impressive what they've been able to do here down the stretch without question. Uh, they get the four straight wins down the down the stretch there in 
uh, it all started, of course, when you talked about that win over Cleveland up there in Ohio. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, not the way, to be quite honest with you, I expected the season to end for the Raiders, or to continue, I guess I should say, given they're going to the playoffs. But I have to give them credit because they've absolutely uh, weathered the storms, and there have been multiple storms throughout the year, and got themselves in the position where they are right now. What do you think about just the ebbs and flow of this game for the Raiders? A 10-point lead after the first. Then they they um, up at the half by a field goal. Then they extend themselves. So in the fourth quarter, at one point in the fourth quarter, Chris, double-digit lead only to watch the Chargers come right back, including that massive drive at the end of the game. Almost 20 plays to get it done to tie the game with no time remaining. It was almost just the, the whole season, right, Chris, that the Raiders have teased the fan base. It was just a matter, Tim, right, of it seemed like multiple plays there in the second half where the Chargers were up against it. And they were one play away from their season being over. And they just continued upon continuing upon continuing getting first downs on fourth down. I mean, it's the first time, what, in 30 years a team has converted that many fourth downs in any NFL game. And it comes on the final game of the regular season this year between two teams that it's win or go home to make the playoffs. So it was pretty extraordinary, to be quite honest with you, how things shook out there in the second half. Now, we have to understand and we have to point out how about the play of this Las Vegas Raiders defensive line? I mean, it was absolutely tremendous all game long. Max Crosby was just a tear out there. It seemed like every other play he was getting to the quarterback or affecting the play on the ground for the Raiders. And it was a... And I, I pointed this out as my captain obvious tweet of the day, Tim. I said, obviously, when you take a look back at this game and you think about the biggest factor as to why the Raiders won, it's going to be that defense and that defensive line. It was unbelievable, and uh, it was a huge factor. And uh, even in spite of that, you saw what Justin Herbert and the offense was able to do. you got to give Herbert a lot of credit too, right? Get me not being right there on the edge of a, of a rough situation. And he ends up pulling it out, you know, time after time. And uh, they get the big play and they get, you know. Uh, and, and by the way, there was also that drive where the Raiders were essentially handed a touchdown, right? I mean, there's a couple plays where uh, the, the ridiculous pass interference call in the end zone where, you know, they, they make the call and the, the ball actually ends up on the other end of the end zone. And it's called a pass interference. I mean, look, it was pass interference, but we all understand that there's a, you know, catchable ball element that usually comes into play with pass interference. So uh, you can argue that touchdown there in the second quarter that the, that the Raiders were able to get, their only touchdown, by the way, in that quarter, was uh, pretty much a gift. But that being said, I mean, it's it was uh, a game that was one for the ages, really was. It was one of the um, – am I, am I going overboard, Tim, by saying it was probably the best game of the season, you know, and on the last game of the season. I mean, is it crazy def- to say that? I mean, that's what nah, it, it was. It definitely is up there and, and magnified by what was on the line. Win, win and you're in. They, they flex the game over to Sunday night football, and, and then you get just a, an amazing 67-point outburst over time, national TV. You can't write it any better than that. It's, it's, a, it's a great story. I, you talk about bonehead plays. What about the, again, Staley, fourth and one in his own, what was it, inside his own 20, and they don't get it. You know, it's like just missed opportunities more so for the Chargers. And I think 
I don't I don't know if I'm going to get uh, chastised for saying this, but I want to say that the Raiders have been more lucky this year than good, Chris. Yeah, it's tough to, to kind of put a number on that, right, as far as a percentage. They have had situations where they've been fortunate. But let's also be straight about it. It's the Raiders, right? The Raiders don't get really any help when it comes to those types of things. And uh, so that's kind of already – that's already like, you know, baked into the cake, so to speak, when it comes to the NFL and the Raiders being fortunate. So, uh, you know, all things considered, it was uh, – it was a pretty good season, obviously, and it still is a season that's going to be ongoing. Very intriguing, to say the least, right, Tim? As far as this team going to Cincinnati, another organization and franchise that has not had much success as of late, and as of late, I mean, you know, in the last 10-plus years, come playoff time or even getting to the playoffs. So you've got a, kind of a collision course of two organizations, obviously in very different places right now. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see exactly how this all shakes out between these two teams coming up next yeah. Saturday. Definitely excited for that that one. And, and Raiders, <clears throat> last time they saw Cincinnati, just embarrassed on their home field. Again, it was during that stretch of games you talked about, Chris, where they looked just absolutely terrible, exploited by Burrow and company, exploited by Jamar Chase, Higgins, uh, mix it. It didn't, it didn't matter in that game. It, it was over before it started, it seemed like. But they get they get a chance for a little redemption and um, it's great it, you know let, let's just look at it from a whole as the city of Las Vegas right it just multiple failures in the postseason by the Vegas Golden Knights and now the king of sports the NFL you get a team first year with your fans you don't get the whole playoff game Chris but you get you get the fact that you celebrate it was basically a playoff game tonight for them out at Allegiant and uh, they get to see their team going to the playoffs so I think. The city's, uh, city's, city's definitely a buzzing right now. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's, uh, no question that it, it's great for the city of Las Vegas, right, and as far as from the, for the sports image of the city of Las Vegas. Now, this is a franchise, obviously, that has dealt with all kinds of off-the-field stuff this past season that still is going to you know, kind of be in the fabric, right, is going to be mm-hmm. on the top of our minds moving forward here regarding – the Raiders and, uh, you know, even, even, even a situation that just took place a matter of uh, days ago, right. With the, you know, with uh, a young defensive back, you know, get, getting essentially a, a, a suspicion, I should, or a suspected, uh, you know, DUI situation. So uh, there's obviously image things that need to be cleaned up when it comes to the Las Vegas Raiders. But when you talk about on the field, right, Tim, there's no question that this is a, it's kind of a, it's a great story. It really is. I mean, it's, it's, this is not where you would expect a team that has gone through what they've gone through. You would not expect them to be in the situation at 10 and seven and heading to the playoffs and being alive, being live in the playoffs. I mean, look, they're the Bengals. Yes. They handle them in that game. What 32, 13. I think the finals in that game, the Bengals, I think they scored like 19 points in the fourth quarter in that game. So matchups are everything, right? When you get a chance to see two teams face off head to head during the regular season, you could draw a lot out of that. But uh, but still, I mean, if you get this Raiders offense clicking, right, if you get Darren Waller back into the mix and contributing like he can contribute, if you get Josh Jacobs on the ground being the running back that I think he can be, Tim, I really I want to believe Josh Jacobs can be a top 10 running back in this league. I really do. You know, and there's spots where it looks like he can be. And so if you get that going, if you, if you play the way you play defensively, particularly on the defensive line today, 
then you got to give the Raiders a live shot against the Bengals because this is a Bengals team that can be Jekyll and Hyde at times too, right? And uh, yes, Joe Burrow's just been absolutely on fire as of late. And no question is talking about, you know, one of the great young talents of wide receiver and Jamar Chase. And, and by the way, they have other pieces too at wide receiver that are, are big time as well in Boyd and some other guys. So it's going to be uh, – I, I think it's going to be a fun uh, a fun game to watch, right, from an offensive standpoint because both these teams, I think, can put up points. And so uh, from that aspect, it's going to be a lot of fun to see. But, uh, yeah, there's no question that the Raiders making it this far, I think Raider Nation and the fans out there should be pretty pleased with how things have shaken out. And then you get into the whole discussion now of, of the coaching search, right? And, I mean, does this – what kind of – what kind of discussion is this going to generate, Tim, with Rich Bisaccia, especially if he wins a game or two in the playoffs? You know, it's going to absolutely be one of those deals where uh, it could kind of throw a monkey wrench in the situation. Well, I, I think sort of winning the Super Bowl, I don't think he comes back as the coach. But, hey, it, it's good. It's good. uh but you know it's what I mean, to, right, know, Tim? It's, it's good to bring it up and talk about it. right for sports radio. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. But uh, you want to, you know, you said something about Josh Jacobs. I wanted to touch on it. When the Raiders decided, and it may have been because of the the injury situation at the receiving position, had kind of forced their hand into this. When they decided that Jacobs was the guy and he was healthy, you've seen what he's done the last four weeks of the season, Chris. He's had two hundred yard games. He's been able to get in the end zone, and, and that's propelled them to these low-scoring wins up until tonight where they've been able to dominate time of possession and, and really eat up defensive lines. And that's, that's the, look, that's the game plan that they're going to have to go into Cincinnati and do. they got to win ugly in this one. You know, they're, look, can they outscore teams in the 30s? Obviously, we've seen it many times this year, but we're talking playoff football at this point. They have to eat that clock up. They have to use Jacobs, like you said. And then they have to get big-time possession-receiving plays from the likes of the Renfros and the Zay Jones, etc. Jackson, to get the job done. You know, I don't, th- I don't think they want to entertain a shootout with the likes of the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, there's no doubt, right, Tim, that they want to take the air out of the football. That's the approach that the Raiders should probably take against the likes of a Cincinnati Bengals team that can absolutely go out there and light it up. So, I don't, but, but at the same time, we're not talking about a Cincinnati Bengals defense, I think, that we're, you know, is, is, you know, an 85 Chicago Bear defense. So, I think that the Raiders will be able to score points. Now, you know, if it ends up being one of those 33 to 30 games, is that beneficial to the Raiders? Probably not, you know. But if defensively they do come to play, and they can slow down Mixon and and Chase and you know all these pieces that the that the Bengals have, obviously Joe Burrow. Then I'll, I'll give the Raiders a chance. Uh, I by no means am I coming on here right now, Tim, and saying that the Raiders are probably going to beat the Bengals. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the I don't even know if you want to call it. I don't know if you want to use the moniker storybook season because it's not. It's not anywhere near that because people have lost their lives and. There's been a lot of, you know, horrible news and tragic events that have surrounded this franchise this year. But I guess you could use the word if you want to have a positive ending on the field um, or, or something, you know, something that is in the realm of positivity. 
moving forward for the franchise, you you want to make this a close game. You do not want to get blown out, okay, if you're the Raiders. You do not want to be in a situation where you're getting boat raced by the Bengals and it ends up being something like a 40, you know, 44 to, to 20 type of game because I think that's just a bad situation for the Raiders to be in. So this matchup will take place <clears throat> next Saturday at 1.30 from Cincinnati. All opening early line, Chris, are the Bengals a six-point favorite at home. Just your initial thoughts. You, you, you lean taking the points, obviously, with the Raiders. No, I probably see. I looked at that line, and, and I concur with uh, our friends who were on the sh- or were on uh, Fox Sports Radio here in Vegas before us mm-hmm. that were talking about this. I think the line should probably be around eight and a half. I think it should okay. be higher. Um, I think the Raiders are getting you know uh, a little bit more respect. But uh, you know what, what I'm talking about when I talk about the Raiders, you know, possibly you know getting the upset in this game or winning this game. I'm talking about you know the the absolute best case scenario. It's not necessarily what I think is going to happen because what I think is going to happen is the Bengals are going to be able to click on all cylinders from an offensive standpoint with uh, Joe Mixon and that receiving core and Joe Burrow playing so well right now. And, you know, even, uh, you know, even though he, Joe Burrow didn't have a, Joe Burrow had a, a pedestrian game against the Raiders the last time out and threw for what, yeah. under, under 150 yards and one touchdown in that game. So, He'll be looking to uh, to up those numbers a bit against the likes of the Raiders. So, and we've absolutely been able to see Joe Burrow do that here as of late. So, uh, yeah, I when I immediately when I hear you tell me that line, I think to myself, well, that's uh, that's that'd be tough sledding if you're going to take the Raiders plus the points because I think they could absolutely lose this game by a touchdown or more. Yeah, but you have the rest factor, as you noticed. There was some COVID protocol with Cincinnati. They re- either they they help people out. Uh, I think out of the, all the names that we brought up for the, what how prolific that offense is, Jamar Chase was the only one that played today, and he played very very minimal time. So they're going to be rested. Raiders emotional high. Uh, there were some some injuries for the Raiders as well in this football game. And, and here's the thing, and, and I know we we've talked about this before, Chris, for the past couple years actually. We even talked about it before the Raiders were were a Vegas team. That it it all comes down to Carr, right? When you when you think about being that leader, being the guy that's going to win the big game, was this a big win for Carr tonight? Absolutely. Very pedestrian numbers again. When you talk about it, and it was a Josh Jacobs show as far as I'm concerned. Did he make big plays to extend drives? He now the pressure starts, right, Chris? Now the pressure starts, and I guess I can say the same thing for Joe Burrow, not not never being in this situation either, but. Who's going to be the guy that's going to be the, the the goat of this game, and who's going to be the guy that's going to choke this game? And you know, I think Carr has a lot more pressure on his back, and maybe he he embraces it, Chris. But you're going on the road, going in cold weather, and he's the type of guy that does too much sometimes, or tries to do too much, and that leads to mistakes. Well, Tim, I want to be the guy that believes if the Raiders lose this game, it's not going to be because of Derek Carr, right? Mm-hmm. And you pointed it out, and it's so true. Everything just seems to come back to Derek. He ends up being the lightning rod, you know, pro or against, you know, in things that they do, uh, in positive, you know, in situations when they win and situations when they lose. Um, the situation regarding Joe Burrow is a little bit different, right? 
we're talking about two quarterbacks that are you know in different spots in their career. Joe Burrow is basically a young guy just trying to establish himself right in the league and and, and is just getting his bearings straight when it comes to how to deal with NFL defenses. Derek Carr is not in that situation. Derek Carr has been in the league for a long time. We know what Derek Carr is, um, positive or negative, you know. And yes, there are spots where Derek Carr, when he's out there and he's playing well, looks like a top ten quarterback in the NFL, right? I mean, he makes the throws. He can do he can do things out there that make you want to say, "Hey, this guy's you know a top tier franchise quarterback, and we can win with this guy there." But uh, you know, it, it is kind of weird though, kind of comparing the situations because Joe Burrow is not really in the same spot in his career that Derek Carr is. I mean, you can ask the question to anybody, right? You can ask the question, who has more to lose, you know, in this game? And there's no, there, I mean, the, the obvious answer is Derek Carr, right? I mean, to Joe Burrow loses to the Raiders. I mean, yeah, people will be upset in Southern Ohio for a couple of days, but then they'll just be looking ahead to the future and saying, wow, we got a bright future. We made the playoffs. Haven't been, you know, a half-decent playoff team since Carson Palmer was our quarterback, you know, a handful of years ago. That's the last time we were even relevant when it came to the AFC and the AFC North. So they'll be able to move on from that. You know, if, if the Raiders get blasted here, you know exactly what the – Tim, you know what the narrative is going to be moving forward after the game on Saturday. If they lose – even if they lose, if they lose by, you know, 10 points or something, lose by a couple of touchdowns, or lose by 25 points. You know what the, you know what you know what discussion is going to be. All these big name quarterbacks that are out there, and anybody else but Derek Carr should be brought in, you know, to try to get us back to the promised land. That's what, exactly what the what the whole focus is going to be with respect to Derek Carr. You know, I mean, obviously there'll be other discussions regarding the team, as far as coaches and maybe other personnel decisions across the board. But when it comes to the quarterback position. That's exactly what's going to happen. If they lose this game on Saturday, everybody's going to be fired up. Sports radio, airwaves here in Vegas will be talking about, okay, Derek Carr couldn't get it done. And so now we need to look ahead. Who's going to be? Is it going to be Deshaun Watson? Is it going to be Russell Wilson? Oh, is it going to be Aaron Rodgers coming to Vegas? You know, you know what I'm saying, Tim. People are going to be on that, going down those rabbit holes. And jumping on those bandwagons, use whatever analogy you want to use, and talk and 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 talking about that regarding Derek Carr, and he's going to essentially be thought of as washed up in Vegas. Obviously, he's a guy who can, you know, I'm not going on the limb here saying he's he's going to be in the league for a little while longer. Still, he could be a quarterback. He'd be a starter in a lot of places, uh, particularly in you know in, in in my town like Detroit, but uh, in places like that. But it's it's uh, it's kind of a dicey situation for Derek because he's it's almost like you're in a no-win situation unless you do win the Super Bowl, and it's almost like Derek Carr is in the same situation that Rich Passaccia is when it yeah. comes to the Raiders and their future. Yeah, I agree, and I think I'll be that guy. I think they're both not here next year. That that's just the way I look at it. You know, Rich Passaccia not a, not a NFL head coach, uh, Matt. Derek Carr is an NFL starting quarterback, but you just mentioned yeah. the names. Look at the names you just threw out there. Carr carries a $20 million cap hit next year in the final year of his contract. There's a way to subsidize that money and not have to eat it all. They're going to do it because they're going to go after a big name. That's the Raider way, Chris, right? 
100% it's the Raider way. And especially it's the Raider way now that they're in Vegas. Okay. And again, like I just talked about Joe Burrow trying to establish himself as a quarterback in the league. Well, the Raiders, yes, they're a story franchise. They've been around forever and uh, are a fixture around the world with Raider Nation. And, you know, they've, but they're still trying to establish themselves as a franchise here in Las Vegas, right? Right. And try to establish Las Vegas as an NFL city. And so there's kind of that mentality, right, Tim? You know, that, whole, that whole kind of frame of mind that surrounds us here in this town. Look, we work in sports radio here. We know what the, what the mindset is of sports fan here in Vegas. We know what the mindset is of Raider fan here in Vegas and Raider fan that comes to Vegas from Los Angeles and Oakland and San Francisco and San Diego and, you know, and, you know, places uh, far and beyond when it comes to Raider Nation. Yes, there is a viewpoint that this is a franchise looking to get to that next level, looking to get back into Super Bowl contention. Chris Collinsworth on the on the broadcast tonight mentioned how they're the first, you know, this is the first Raider team, you know, that uh, is, is trying, you know, they've had what they one playoff appearance back in 2015, and then the last time they're in the playoffs was that 0-2 loss where they lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a franchise looking to better them, so, you know, get back into the mix and get up into the discussion with the likes of Kansas City and the Buffalo Bills and uh, the other great teams in the AFC. And, again, if, if the Raiders lose this game to Cincinnati on Saturday, they're going to be looking in all kinds of other directions other than Derek Carr to get that done and to try to make that a reality. And is it fair to Derek? Probably not, because I think Derek does get a bad rap as far as kind of how he's looked down on by a lot of people in NFL circles as far as, you know, and NFL fandom, you know, out there. I think he does get a bad rap, but the reality is there, you know, is that he, he is kind of viewed as a guy who maybe not be able to get a team over the top. And I think that'll be further exacerbated, for lack of a better word, if they end up losing to Cincinnati coming up this weekend. That's radio personality Chris Wynn. Tim Mungles will be here on Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13.40 AM. We will take our first time out, and when we come back, we'll look at the rest of the playoff matchups set for next weekend. In case you missed it, in case you're just tuning in, just waking up, the Las Vegas Raiders have qualified for the NFL postseason by virtue of a 35-32 win over the Los Angeles Chargers over at Allegiant Stadium tonight. They did it in overtime. A great, great, amazing, crazy football game. When we come back, like I said, we'll look at the rest of the NFL playoffs. It's E-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Raiders 35, Chargers 32, overtime win here in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas moves on to the first round of the AFC playoffs next Saturday at Cincinnati. Early line, Bengals minus six. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn with you till midnight. And we're going to look at all these playoff matchups here, Chris. Did you have any final thoughts on the Raiders, though, as we move on? Just that... uh... You know, it was it was great to see a packed stadium. You know, look, we're still in the midst of a, a pandemic, right? Where there's a lot of you know day to day things we're dealing with regarding COVID nineteen. But it was you know it was 
it was a joy to kind of see that how that all unfolded and get to see you know John Madden's widow kind of kick off the festivities in that game tonight and you know John Madden obviously a major impact on right now Michaels the veteran Tim the guy who's done everything from the miracle on ice to all kinds of other just crazy sporting events and this was just another one where he was left speechless as well because that was uh, rather extraordinary to say the least how things ended for the regular season in the NFL and how it all came down to the, the wire there and uh, it looked like uh, you know one team is going to be upset and you didn't think it was going to be the the, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers everybody thought it was going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers and you even had some Pittsburgh Steelers faithful that were in the building at Allegiant Stadium that were looking pretty uh, downtrodden, to say the least, there on the backside of that game. Well, they were, of course, elated at the outcome and how everything kind of ended up there with the Raiders getting the win over the Chargers. Wasn't that great that <clears throat> when they when they throw in, like, look, Steelers are in. As long as they don't tie tonight, the Steelers are in. And yet it comes down to the final play. You can't write things like that. It, it was hilarious to watch. And would it have been – look, I'm not – look, in this game, obviously the goal is to win, right, Chris? But what, what if what if the Raiders just kneeled down on that last play? Would that be considered a taboo? I don't think so, Tim, because – and as I pointed out, I don't know if you caught the end of my rant uh, there at the top of the show where I talked about the Chargers, right? But how hilarious was that when, you know, Derek Carr was right there getting ready to call the timeout with, with a matter of, what, three or four seconds left in the game? What if Derek just didn't call a timeout? You know yeah. what I mean? What if Derek just stood there and didn't call it? And then, you know, the handful of Pittsburgh fans that were there in the stands would have been irate. Everybody that's up there in northern Pennsylvania would have been going ballistic. And it would have been just one more reason why the Steelers would hate, Ra would hate Raider Nation. And so I got to admit, as someone who's not a fan of either team, I was kind of rude for that. It didn't happen. But it would, yeah, like you just said, it would have been kind of a, it would have been fascinating to say the least, to uh, to see the post game press conference with uh, Rich and and Josh Jacobs and those guys afterwards if uh, they had just run the clock out and taken the tie, and then uh, you've got both the Raiders and Chargers going to the playoffs instead of the Steelers. It would have been, it would have been but it was just yeah. I mean, as you said, it was crazy, Tim. It was crazy, kind of the way that the whole thing ended. I, I guess the only excuse, well. I guess the re one of the reasonings could have been, well, we would rather play Cincinnati than Kansas City, even though you shouldn't say things like that because you're going to play who you're going to play. But a better answer would have been like, hey, we played it safe. What if what if that field goal kick would have been blocked and returned? We just decided we'll play it safe. We're all, you know we're in. It doesn't matter what the Chargers are doing. We're in. That's all that matters. That is, you bring up a great point. I mentioned that to my to my friend who was here at the house. We were watching the game, and I said. Wouldn't this be such a textbook, you know, 2021-22 Raider thing to happen? If the, if, if the Chargers would have blocked the field goal and ran it back for a touchdown and went to the playoffs and the Raiders went home, I mean, it, just would, have been, it, would, have been, it would have been just so textbook, right? Yeah. And that's absolutely that's something that could have been in the play. So that's another reason. Look, I was saying, right, and I know we're, just, we're still, you know, going on this game, but I, I have to do it. I was mentioning that. When they lined up for the field goal, right, Tim? I was thinking to myself, they might not even kick this field goal. You know, he might not even kick it. They might snap it to the holder, and the holder just kneel down on the ball. I mean, I thought it could actually be an option because you don't want to have a doomsday scenario where it's a bad snap 
or it gets blocked back into Carlson's face, and then the Chargers pick it up and run it back for an end of the end zone for a touchdown and win the game. So you, your point is well taken, man. I mean, that is something that could have also came into play, which, again, adds one more thing, right, Tim? At the end of this game, that could have happened. That could have sent things haywire and, uh, and caused a bunch of chaos also. Let's look at the rest of the AFC playoffs. The afternoon game on Saturday will be the New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. So in AFC East, uh, part three right here. Chris, they played twice during the regular season. They split those games, and now we get the, the rubber match back up in Orchard Park. How about this for a first-round game? Belichick against his nemesis, the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen coming off a, a hell of a run last year in the playoffs. And... Um, they were off to a great start this year, too. Chris kind of suffered a bit there in the middle, but they were able to secure that three seed, and they get Belichick, Mac Jones, a, a kind of a team that, uh, again, today they had really nothing to play for. So it would be interesting to see how this one hunkers down and what the weather's going to be like <clears throat> Excuse me, next Saturday. Talk about your wild storylines, right, that can take place in a, in a matchup like this with Buffalo, of course, you know, a team trying to, you know, get off the schneid when it comes to, you know, and and, and uh, kind of rebound after, you know, the loss late in the playoffs a year ago. Just looks like a franchise and a team that is coming of age and is, you know, is going to firmly establish themselves as, as a contender every single year in the AFC. And this is one more step to that. And uh, it has kind of an, an element to it also of, uh, you know, trying to get over the big boy, right? You're trying to knock off the team that's that's – been your nemesis for years in the New England Patriots and obviously Bill Belichick. We're talking about, you know, the greatest coach of all time in the NFL. And, uh, you know, you can't underestimate Belichick and what they're going to be able to do, although you're doing it with, you know, say also doing it with a rookie quarterback as well too, right? So, I mean, how much do we really expect out of the New England Patriots, Tim, with a rookie quarterback there? So I'll be interested to see how this all works out in this game you got a it's a late game actually on cbs so the weather's maybe a factor they're talking about in the 20s there in buffalo so and we saw it in one matchup between these two teams the weather a big time factor so uh we'll see if the buffalo bills can kind of get off that schneid and move on as one of as the representative out of the afc east in the AFC playoffs, Tim. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Like I, I'm with you. I, I like Buffalo in this game, and I think they're just a better football team, right? And it's been it's been a good season for New England. There's no doubt about that. Better season than I thought they were going to have with Mac Jones at at the quarterback position. But I think you said it best. He's a rookie. Now he's really going to face some intense pressure. Uh, just an absolute nuts environment up in Buffalo. And a team that's, that was just in the playoffs last year and advanced all the way to the AFC title game. So it, it's, a, it's a spot where this the better team should win, the better quarterback will win, the better receivers, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, you know, I think it can be close for a minute, but I think Buffalo will pull away in this one. And the line is pretty much indicative of that, right, Tim? I mean, you take a look at it. Buffalo, the short favorite, uh, given respect to, to the Patriots. You know, a 10-7 and 7 team, the Patriots, who, you know, as a, a very respectable record on the road, by the way, uh, basically six and two on the road this season for New England. But uh, I fully expect Buffalo to kind of flex their muscles in this game. 
you've got uh, Josh Allen who threw for over 4,400 yards this year and 36 touchdowns. You've got Stephon Diggs who had another solid year. I think Buffalo's defense is going to be a real issue for for Mac and the passing offense. And what does that do? Well, that leaves it on the shoulders of the likes of uh, Harris and, and Stevenson and these other guys in the backfield to kind of come through for New England. And uh, you take a look at the total, too, sitting just over 40 at uh, 43 and a half. Pretty uh, clear indication that uh, I think it's not going to be exactly I, – and I don't think it will be a high-scoring type of game. And I think that Buffalo will be able to kind of grind things out and get a victory in this one. Yeah. Who was your – before we talk about the last the last game, who was your – who did you have in the AFC? Let's put it that way. Beginning of the year through the season, who, who did you have coming out of the AFC to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was signed, sealed, delivered. I had the Buffalo Bills going to the okay. Super Bowl. I had actually the Buffalo Bills going to the Super Bowl last year, and of course, uh, you know, ended up on the the back end of that. And yeah. uh, the Chiefs, of course, you know, didn't exactly show out too well in the Super Bowl. But uh, yes, despite the fact that Kansas City looks like you know they're they're getting back to being Chief-esque. I still think that Buffalo is a better football team. And when I look at uh, the teams still remaining in the AFC, I think that uh, the Bills are, in my opinion, uh, should be uh, should be there playing in uh, come early February for uh, a Super Bowl championship. And I think they can actually get, they can actually, you know, right the wrongs of the 90s, you know, where they went uh, to so many Super Bowls and ended up coming up short. I think they can actually uh, handle their business and uh, get it done this year. Well, we'll have another AFC, <coughs> AFC matchup on Sunday. You said at the Chiefs, the two-seed against the seven-seed Pittsburgh Steelers, who get in the playoffs. They win three of their last four. They knock out, knock off the Titans, the Browns, and the Ravens on their way to, to getting to the playoffs tonight with the Raiders' victory and KC secured that two-seed come from behind win yesterday in Denver over the Broncos to get us here. Chris, the line almost two touchdowns on this one, though. KC minus 13 Sunday night. Yeah, you kind of look at this game, right, and you have a feel that the Steelers and uh, Pittsburgh should be happy to be there, right? And you should be just feel fortunate they're actually in the postseason. This is not a Steeler team that you look. You've looked at. We've looked at all year and said, "Yeah, they could. Uh, they could. You know, cause a lot of problems for teams going to the AFC playoffs." That's just not the way you look at the squad. Um, obviously, Big Ben Roethlisberger is retiring, and uh, he's no longer going to be in the mix there. There's a question whether or not Mike Tomlin will be the head coach there at the end of the season as well, too, or after the season, I should say. Uh, you do like Harris in the backfield there for them. And they've had a monstrous uh, – they've had to deal with a ton of injuries, particularly in the receiving core. So it's tough to say that Pittsburgh's going to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Kansas City right about now at this time of year. You just don't really see it happening, especially after what you mentioned. They get the uh, – you know, come from behind win against the Broncos and kind of a tough place to play, obviously, up there in Denver. So you like the way the Steelers are playing right now. The line, I mean, it's – I don't know. I mean, I – I hate seeing super-duper double-digit lines, Tim, in the playoffs, you know, because they are playoff teams. They're there. you got a Steeler team that uh, is 9-7-1. It should be 9-8, by the way. That, that one tie was 
to the Lions <laughs> who should have won that game. But uh, that being said, it's uh, it kind of feels like, Tim, and I'd like to see, hear your opinion on this, it kind of feels like it's the swan song for Ben Roethlisberger. He's going to go out there one more time. You almost felt like it. You know, obviously, after during tonight's game, it might he might not get a chance to go out there and do that, but he's going to get a chance to go out. Um, unfortunately for him and for Steeler fans, it's going to be in Kansas City, his last game in the NFL, I think. But uh, I think the Chiefs do handle him. But I'm not going to. Don't want to go anywhere near that. <clears throat> yeah, I. It has a lot of shades of Peyton Manning's last season, and and. But, but I'll probably stay away. I'll, but uh, yeah, that's how you get caught there, I think, Tim. But uh, I probably will stay away from that thirteen, just because it just it's it's just a little bit too high for me, Tim. Just a tad. Oh no doubt, double digits in the playoffs. It's tough, but I look at it more like. I would bet Kansas City before I bet. Pittsburgh, and it's, you know, the reasons being is that, again, Kansas City's a way better football team. Ben Roethlisberger, very pedestrian this year. You know, like I said, it had shades of Peyton Manning's last year in that they were ways that Pittsburgh found to win, whether it was the defense, whether Najee Harris stepped it up in the second half of the season and became the guy that they drafted in the first round, you know, the guy they wanted to see in the by drafting him first round. Uh, look, Boswell's been MVP for them this year. There's no doubt about it, right? Because you've lost players. You've lost injuries. Much, Many, many, many teams have. But Roethlisberger looks his age out there. He looks worse. He looks probably 10, 15 years older playing. And you're running into, like you said when we talked about this originally, you're running into a buzzsaw now. KC looks like they found whatever they were missing at some point. So I would I would lay the 13 before I took the 13. But you're right. It, it's hard to bet the, that kind of uh, points in the playoffs because it's supposed they're playoff teams. You're right. But um, it wouldn't surprise me, though, Chris, to see somehow Kansas City win 28-10. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And what does it say, Tim, quickly about the Steelers when you're mentioning the, the kicker as their MVP? <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just rough slender right there, man. I mean, that's, uh, it's tough to make a case that uh, they're going to cover even the 13. When you say right. something like that, so uh, yeah, but but look, I mean, it's you know what's 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 hilarious is that it's probably true, you know. So uh, and as much as I do like Najee Harris, right, in that backfield and, and some of the pieces they have, obviously with Chase Claypool and some others. So um, let's just say this: I'll be surprised if they do keep it close, but it's just a little bit too thirteen. It's just it's I don't know if I'm gonna be able to you know to pull the trigger on Kansas City at that line, although I do think they're in the football game. And what about the number one seed, the Tennessee Titans? They get the week off. They get to rest. They get uh, players that – key thing here, injured players rest or coming back, and that includes – But they're saying it, <clears throat> right, Chris, but potentially Derrick Henry coming back who missed most season with that injury. And I thought when that went down, I was like, well – that's it for Tennessee. They're going to go straight in the tank. And they didn't, Chris. They battled through to finish 12-5. and five. And Tannehill, again, we'll use, the, we'll use the name, pedestrian. He had a pedestrian season, but they were able to good defense. Uh, they were able to, to figure out how to run the ball without Henry. His foreman's been awesome here in the second half. They've lost, you know, they lost A.J. Brown for a stretch. They lost Julio Jones for a stretch. Those guys are back. I mean, t- 
Tennessee got really, really lucky that it didn't go south on them, and now they're sitting pretty, I think, if everybody comes back, Chris. Yeah, this, I mean, if you can say a team that's 12-5, and five, right, is kind of under the radar, is it this this Titans team? I mean, it really, I really kind of get the feel that that's the way they're kind of viewed from a perspective. Now we're, you know, obviously that, I think some of the reason behind that is because they started off so well, and then they did have all the injuries, and then it wasn't exactly like they, you know, were uh, barn burners down the stretch. And, yeah, they got the win over the Texans today, and they made score you know, three of those touchdowns, what, in the first, in the second quarter, first half. And they just kind of like held on during, throughout the rest of the game. But, uh, and, and Ryan Tannehill did rally his team and, uh, to score, uh, you know, even though they allowed the, you know, Houston Texans, they allowed the, uh, the Tennessee defense allowed them to score 1,800 points in that game. I mean, I have some concerns about the Titans. I really do. I mean, I think they're, uh, a really good football team, obviously, but, they could run into some matchup problems when it comes to the AFC playoffs that could be detrimental to this team. And, uh, you know, when they do go up against the likes of the Buffalo Bills or the, or obviously the Kansas City Chiefs and, uh, and, and, you know, and I, I think that it could absolutely be in a, in, in a one game scenario, they could, they could, uh, they, they could end up getting bounced out and it could be unceremoniously, uh, the end of the season, and and I do think that I don't trust Ryan Tannehill. I really don't. I mean, I think there's absolutely scenarios that can present themselves, Tim, where Ryan Tannehill makes you know uh, key mistakes where he throws pick sixes in bad spots in the playoffs that could end up costing this team the the opportunity to move at, move on. And so that's kind of how I view them. I, I think that they are absolutely when they when they have all their players. I mean, they're 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 right there and they can win the entire thing when they have all their players healthy and they're all clicking on all cylinders. But I just, you know, I just don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical. Let's put it that way, that they're going to be able to put this all together come playoff time and make a run through the likes of uh, some of these quality squads in the AFC that they're going to have to face down the stretch here. Well, you remember the run they had in the playoffs a couple years back when Henry just ran crazy to the AFC title game before Tom Brady put him out that could be a situation here. He's going to be healthy if he is back, or healthier than he would be injured, right? So they're being really uh, close-knit, keeping that to the vest on the health situation. I would too, but I expect him to be there in two weeks, Chris, and that, that's going to make a, a world of difference for him. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, But they're even even, with, even the likes of Foreman and some other guys there have been able to kind of weather the storm, you know. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, what, Derrick Henry leads the team in rushing with, what, 937 yards rushing, so, uh, and he's missed a ton of time. So, I don't really know, uh, I mean, you want to, everybody wants to have that next man up mentality, right, of a guy that can step in and, and do the job, and then you fully expect, right, when your superstars come back, and make no mistake about it, Derrick Henry's a superstar, that they come back, and they're, that they're ready to roll, right, and ready to get back and play at the level that they're expected to play. I just don't know if I'm, you know, ready to say that, not necessarily about just Derrick Henry, but guys like A.J. Brown, guys like Ryan Tannehill. I don't know, you know, I just don't know. I'm, I'm not sold yet that Ryan Tannehill, A.J., you know, some of these other pieces are, are ready to make that next step to be player the type of players where they elevate you to a Super Bowl 
and and and, and take you to Super Bowl victory. I, I just don't know if those guys are the right people to do that yet. But hey, they could prove me wrong, and I could have uh, my foot in my mouth by the end of this playoff. But I I still think Sam. I have to I have to say I still think that there is justification for people kind of looking past the Tennessee Titans when it comes to the overall AFC playoff picture, because I think that there is going to be a scenario that presents itself where they, you know, end up making too many mistakes in a game that ends up costing them come playoff time. Tennessee with the week off. Saturday's matchups, the Raiders will be at the Bengals. That's a 1.30 start. New England at Buffalo will be the nightcap 5-15. Sunday, one AFC matchup. Pittsburgh at Kansas City, that is also a 5-15 start. That's your AFC side of the bracket in Hour 2. We're going to break down the NFC side of it as Terrific Tom, the Super Bowl champs, are slotted in and ready to go. Next week, we'll, we'll talk about their chances of repeating in Hour 2. And we'll kick things off in hour two with one last AFC note. How embarrassing are the Indianapolis Colts? We'll talk about that in hour two as well. Stay tuned. It's E-Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Hour 2, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13.40 AM. You can always find us over on Twitter at HWSports, at Tom Barton Sports. And we always like to give the programming notes here to begin Hour 2. We're off next week. Mr. Tim has business to attend to. So we're off next week. We'll be back in, in two weeks' time. Chris Wynn joining me tonight, radio personality Chris Wynn. You can hear him. Man, Chris, you do a couple shows a week on various... Uh, stations keeping yourself busy talk about where they can find you over on twitter you, you post not only sports but entertainment uh politics sometimes food it just depends yeah you can find me at christian win on twitter and uh yeah as you pointed out tim it's always been a great to be part of the heat wave sports family over on fox sports radio of course they can find me on a couple of other shows also across the dial and it kind of leads into a quick uh i just wanted to throw this out there tim because we had some sad news today here in the Las Vegas radio community, uh, someone who has uh, been a part of uh, Lotus Broadcasting. He has done uh, a number of uh, uh, shows across the valley for a number of years. Brian Blessing, longtime radio personality here in town, a, a uh, upstate New York guy, a Buffalo Bills fan, covered the uh, Buffalo Sabres, did a lot of television covering the Buffalo Sabres. He passed away today uh, in his mid-60s. Brian is a great guy. It was uh, obviously... You know, we're, we're just coming off a matter of uh, weeks since we lost our, our friend, Ballpark Frank Harnish, uh, to cancer. So it was very sudden that we found out today that of his passing. And uh, I just wanted to give my thoughts and prayers out to his family and uh, and uh, just say a, a kind word about him because he's a great guy and, and is uh, going to be missed here in Las Vegas on the uh, radio airwaves talking sports. You said it best been a tough month or so for uh... – for the media, especially guys that we've, I was, you worked with them a lot closer than I did, but, you know, going back to Frank, I, I've known Frank for almost 20 years, and I've, I've passed, Brian and I have talked, not not too many times, but we knew who each other was, and yet you're right, man, it's, um, it's sad to see it happen, and uh, 
I'm with you on that. I, thoughts and prayers go out to the family, of course. Um, t- it's just been tough, right, right, Chris? It's been tough for for the, the radio guy. I call them the radio guys. That's what we are. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, look, Las Vegas is an emerging market, right? When it comes to the sports media, it's getting bigger and bigger. And we, as we get more teams here, it's becoming much more relevant. But it's still a pretty tight-knit community, right? And it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty a small connection of people and network of people. And so uh, we all be very familiar with everybody. And uh, for the most part, everybody's on the up and up, you know, and his, and his, uh, and his court, you know, his – is uh, gets along okay, you know, for, for the most part. Yes, we had certain situations that aren't great, but for the most part, it's a good thing. And and that was the situation with the likes of Ballpark Frank Harnish and Brian Blessing. So they're going to be missed without question. And, uh, I didn't want to like you know drag the whole show down and bring it down, you know, uh, put it in a tough place. But I just wanted to kind of point that out because it was uh, it was a significant loss for us here in the Las Vegas radio family. Yeah, no, I agree, hundred percent. So before we look at the NFC side of the playoff bracket, I just uh, your thoughts quickly on this. So with two weeks to go in the season, week 17, Indianapolis yeah. Colts had two games left. They had the Raiders at home, and then they had a week 18 matchup on the road against Jacksonville, 2-14 and 14 team. All they had to do was win one game, Chris. All they had to do was win one game. They, they came up short against the Raiders last week, 23-20 in a game where they looked very lackadaisical. Uh, were prepared apparently, and um, they they lost. So, coming into Week 18, double-digit point spread favorite on the road against one of the worst teams in the NFL. And not only did they lose this game, Chris, they lose this game bad. They get blown out in this game. That's with Jonathan Taylor having, a, you know, if it wasn't for the quarterback's award, he had to be considered up there in an MVP race or MVP talk through the season that Jonathan Taylor's had. Just, they came, they like I said, they didn't just lose this game. They were embarrassed. And because of that, they are not going to the playoffs. What a complete catastrophe for Frank Reich and Indianapolis Colts. And make no mistake about it, there were a bunch of clowns in the stands in Jacksonville for this game because it was like a clown theme going on. But the team that got clowned was the Indianapolis Colts. And they essentially backed their way out of the AFC playoffs in the last couple of weeks. I thought it was, I, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I was surprised to say the least that they had lost to the Raiders at home. But then you go into a situation here where you understand you need to win, right? Against a team that is 2-14 and 14 and is solidifying themselves at either getting the first or second pick in the NFL draft. And you go out there and you put up a field goal through three quarters against that team. You're supposed to be a playoff team, Tim, right? In the Colts, they had a field goal going into the fourth quarter. You know, before they before they put the, the you know the uh, snowman up there in the fourth and end up finishing with 11 points in this game. The Colts, uh, Frank Reich is going to is going to take a considerable amount of heat and rightfully so for how the season ended for the Indianapolis Colts. And were they dealing with issues? Yes, they were when it came to Carson Wentz and his health and, you know, getting it back into the mix and the quarterback situation. I get it. But all teams deal with that kind of thing. The Colts, you know, had they had a golden opportunity to get into the playoffs and then, you know, they could you know, kind of figure things out. You know, once they actually make it into the tournament, they could kind of, you know, 
get their bearings straight and kind of make, you know, and, and be the team that they thought they could be. No, they couldn't even do that. They didn't even make the playoffs. So uh, it'll be intriguing to say the least exactly what, you know, the powers that be there in Indianapolis do with Frank Reich and with this team after they get uh, unceremoniously bounced out by the likes of the Jacksonville Jaguars at the end of the season. On the NFC side, and we'll look at these games. We'll start with the, the team with the bye. The number one seed will be Green Bay as they finish 13-4. and four, Home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So big, big coup there last week with the win in order to clinch home field throughout. So today, <laughs> you saw some of the starters play. But here's my thing, Chris. And before we talk about the Packers with the rest heading into the playoffs, I'm only bringing this up because I know you and our friends... Uh, Brian Feldman, Clay Baker are Detroit Lion fans. Chris, by virtue of your win today against Green Bay, did you guys screw yourself out of the number one pick like Brian Feldman predicted months ago? No, no, no we, I'm not going to blame it on Brian. You know, there are a lot of us <laughs> that are, you know, we're, look, we're, here's the deal, Tim, right? We're doomsday fans. We're Detroit Lions fans, and we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So we are, you know, it's just a, it's just a rite of passage for us Detroit fans. So I was not shocked in the least bit whatsoever, uh, not necessarily by the win today, but the fact that they were able to play their way out of the number one draft pick and into the number two pick. Now, at the end of the day, is it really going to make a huge difference? Probably not, you know, because I don't know if Jacksonville, Detroit really are going to have, you know, the same type of needs moving forward. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a big deal. But it was just textbook Detroit Lions, wasn't it? That they, you know, were, you find a way to go to three and thirteen and one as opposed to two and 14 and one, you know, and had the number one pick. So um, I got to be honest, man, for the last few days, I've been on Twitter and on social media, just blasting the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And not for the way that, you know, our, our, our buddy, and it'd be interesting to have Tom Barton on to the show, because obviously, you know, we have to eventually start saying good things about the Green Bay Packers, which is kind of tough to do for myself and Tommy and other NFC North fans. But the point being is that what are you doing playing Aaron Rodgers in this game? It makes absolutely no sense. Like, I got all fired up about Brandon Staley and the Chargers calling a timeout there at the end of that game tonight. What are the Packers doing? Why are you starting Aaron Rodgers in a game that means absolutely nothing against the Detroit Lions? Okay, they're in your division. I get it. An NFC North thing. I get it. But that made no sense to me whatsoever. Now, obviously, they were able to weather the storm, not you know have any major, you know, monstrous issue that took place where he gets hurt or something. But do you can you imagine like if if something happened to Aaron Rodgers, where even he got nicked up, you know, in the game and didn't have like a season-ending injury, just got kind of scraped up or something? The, the Packers faithful and people, you know, they, they would have gone bananas, you know. So. I was a little bit surprised by that, that that he was playing in this game. That being said, Lions, hey, put up 37 points, finished the season with a win. Uh, unfortunately for me, if I can go on a little, you know, a mini Lions uh, comment here and take, it's going to make people feel better in Detroit about Dan as a head coach. There's already been this discussion about how he's rah-rah and it's a good thing for the team and they play hard for him and everything. 
you know, look, I'm a Lions fan since 1979, Tim. It's just so hard to kind of get on board with this rah-rah, how much does it impact uh, things as an NFL head coach, if that's your personality, but you don't have, you know, you don't have the other aspects that are needed for an NFL head coach to be successful. You know what I mean? Especially in a type of situation like this where it's a franchise that needs a complete overhaul and just needs a, a whole, just the entire atmosphere and and approach needs to change for this team moving forward. But yeah, they get the win over Green Bay and, and the Packers are able to avoid any major injuries and uh, we'll move on and be the number one seed come, come NFC playoff time. I'll ask you again, who did you have coming out of the NFC preseason or during the season? <clears throat> Very interesting, right, Tim? I had the former Detroit Lion quarterbacks team going to the Super Bowl in the NFC, and that's the Los Angeles Rams. Now, obviously, they still have an opportunity to do that because they are in the mix when it comes to the playoff picture. But, Tim, not exactly a good look, is it, my friend, when you go from being the number two seed if you win the game today, as opposed to now you lose the game and now you're the number four seed and you have to end up playing, you know, a division rival, which could present some serious problems for them. So I had the Los Angeles Rams pegged from the start of the season as my pick to come out of the NFC. And that can absolutely still come to fruition, but there is certainly a different look, isn't there, Tim Oglesby, when it comes to the NFC playoff picture, and there are some other teams out there, and the Green Bay Packers are included. And uh, there's also another team down there in the great state of Texas that I don't, that, that, that you know, I find it very difficult to root for as well, too. That's also in the mix that could uh, that could cause some problems for the likes of the Los Angeles Rams. But uh, not a way you wanted to end the season if you're Los Angeles, right, Tim? And uh, come out on a losing end in that game today. Well, let's take a peek at the NFC side of the playoffs. So these games will play Sunday and Monday. So we get a Martin Luther King matchup, Martin Luther King Day matchup on Monday. We'll start with that one then, Chris, because you, you just brought it up. We might as well stay stay with the flow here. Martin Luther King Day, Monday matchup, Monday evening matchup, excuse me, 5-15. It'll be Arizona at the Rams. You just talked about it, Stafford. McVeigh back there in the playoffs again. Carson, a great, great season. A bad loss today for him, but a great season. A lot of weapons there as well. The Rams, early favorites, four and a half points. Yeah, a team in the Arizona Cardinals who, especially as of late, uh, looks nothing like a team that uh, is 11-6, and six, right? And you had thought that the way the Cardinals – we're playing, particularly throughout the midway part of the season and earlier, this team would be better than 11-6, and six, right? I mean, you would have thought yeah. that. or you, you would have absolutely thought they would be better than that. That's not been the case. Obviously, they've dealt with injuries across the board, and they've had some situations where they've had some guys come back now, so it kind of changes their personnel because I do like the combination of Edmonds and Connor there in the backfield, and, you know, when they, when they are – uh, airing it out. It's a lot of fun to watch this team, you know, from a receiver standpoint, whether it's Hopkins, whether it's Kirk, whether it's, you know, uh, the other receiver whose name escapes me, number four, the guy, the, the, the little guy that's out there scampering around all the time. But this should be one of the more 
exciting games to watch, right? Come playoff, uh, wild card playoff weekend this week, and it's going to be the last game going down on Monday night because you've got two offenses that can absolutely put numbers up. We all got the chance to witness Cooper Cup have a historic season this year for the Los Angeles Rams, and Matthew Stafford looks, you know, has had, a, had another outstanding season. Uh, almost 4,900 passing yards, over 41 or 41 touchdowns. Uh, he has had some brain farts, I should say, uh, throughout down the stretch here, and he's thrown some bad interceptions, which is what Matthew Stafford does, right? I mean, if, if you're going to talk about the negatives with Matthew Stafford, there are occasions where he makes you know bad decisions, and a lot of times interceptions can turn into game-changing plays, right, where they can be devastating. And that's really is the case with the Rams now. This is a team that's 12-5 and five and I still think has a chance to win the Super Bowl. And you take a look at that number, what, minus four and a half? Mm-hmm. And that total sitting at 50. Obviously, the expectation is that both these teams are going to be able to put up points. I think, to be quite honest with you, Tim, uh, and I'll be interested to hear your perspective, I think it's the team that scores the most points wins. I mean, I really think it's that simple. And I think it's going to be the Rams because the Rams have a better defense. And, you know, you, you got the talent they have on defense. It's really hard to go against them. And I think that that's going to be a big key for them getting a win against Arizona coming up this uh, Monday. Definitely the better defense and definitely the better, shall we say, star players when it comes down to it, Chris, right, with the likes of the Aaron Donalds and the Jalen Ramsey's guys that will make big plays for you when you need them. They'll give up a 24-28, but on that final drive, they're going to put the pressure on Kyler Murray and somebody's going to make a play. That's that's the onus that you would have coming into it, and I think you're 100% correct on that, that the Rams are the better team offensively and defensively, and, and it's closer offensively than it is defensively. I like I like the Ram D, and you have coaches that like to, to score, right? Kingsbury likes to score, but Kingsbury is an offensive-minded guy, and, and you've seen that this year. It's it's crazy the injuries when you look at especially on the Ram side you you lose Henderson, but Sonny Michelle right he steps up former Patriot Cam Akers has played solid time, on the receiving side you mentioned Cups just record breaking incredible season did it again today right another seven catches for 118 yards and a touchdown, and I <clears throat> I think we saw kind of a little slump, a mini slump let's put it a mini slump because they finished 12 and five but when Robert Woods went down. It took a minute for Cup and McVay to adjust to get him back going. Van Jefferson stepped in. You have the big target in Higby. But the signing of Beckham, right, right, Chris, late in the year, I think really paid dividends for him. Huge touchdown last week against the Ravens to win. He's had some big catches this, this season in the short amount of time he's been there. He didn't do much today, but that doesn't mean come playoff time, Chris, that he's not going to be the guy. And I think when you look at depth-wise, the loss of Hopkins in Arizona – is going to be a, is going to be a big factor. Granted, they have Christian Kirk. You said it. Granted, they have the big body in Zach Ertz. I thought that was a great trade for the Cardinals midseason. But now you're depending on AJ Green, who who has looked good and looked very bad at times this season. And then it kind of just at there at that point it gets away. So I like passing. I like scoring. I think you're going to see a lot of that. But I think the Rams. I think the Rams move on to the next round. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of passing in this game. But it's going to be interesting to see this Rams team from a running back standpoint, right? You said Sonny Michelle. Sonny Michelle quietly, what, almost 850 yards rushing this year. He's got four touchdowns. And you talked about kind of, you know, the carousel at running back 
that the Rams have been quote unquote dealing with, I guess, you know, despite the fact they've been, you know, one of the better teams in the NFC. So it'll be interesting to see how they do handle the running game situation moving forward. I think Masonia Shell will be the guy and, uh, and we'll get spelled momentarily, but, uh, Make no mistake about it. This is going to be two teams out there slinging it around a little bit, and you'll you'll get uh, no shortage of points in this matchup at SoFi Stadium between the Rams and the Cardinals coming up this week. The two matchups on Sunday: the morning game, the ten o'clocker, defending champion Tampa Bay Bucks at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, who squeezing. They were they were in the playoffs last week. Cause it didn't matter what they did this week; they were in the playoffs as of Week Seventeen and yet draw the low seed in the, in the seventh spot. Just the way it plays out with the, with the percentages and the records. And they were just embarrassed by Dallas on Saturday. Tampa today, slow start. But when it counted, Tom Brady and the, and the boys get the job done. Tom, here's Tom over 5,000 yards passing, Chris, today. Again, this year at his age as they rolled Carolina into securing that seed. So this will be the morning game on Sunday. The Bucks nine-point favorites at home. Yeah, uh, I still don't think we appreciate or maybe uh, understand or can comprehend just the ridiculousness, Tim, of a guy in his mid-40s out there throwing for 5,300 passing yards and 43 touchdowns and doing it in an atmosphere where you got, you know, the Antonio Brown nonsense going on around him. You got, you know that kind of situation, and oh, oh, by the way, they're coming off a Super Bowl win, and, you know, it's it just rather just remarkable what Tom Brady has been able to do. That being said, the playoffs are a different animal, right? I mean, now we're going into the playoffs, we're going to see exactly what goes down here. We have seen a recent history with the Eagles and the Buccaneers, right, as far as uh, these teams playing, and this is a different Eagles team than that, that team that lost to the Buccaneers early on in the season, so... Uh, this is a uh, much more confident Eagles team, in my opinion. I do like Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. You take a look at some comparisons of quarter, young quarterbacks and what they've been able to do from a, from a statistical standpoint. Jalen Hurts is right there with a lot of really good quarterbacks. you know. And, and he's another guy that doesn't get the respect I think that he deserves. That being said, let's be kind of honest about it. This seems like a stepping stone game for the Buccaneers, right? It seems like this is something, a win that they should get. You look at that number, Buccaneers favored by nine, uh, total sitting at 49. I think it's pretty much dead on. It's a 13-4 Buccaneers team uh, going up against the likes of uh, an offense that their leading rusher, of course, is what, Gainwell, I think is their leading rusher in Philadelphia yeah. with just under 300 yards rushing in the, in the, on the season with five touchdowns. So. That doesn't necessarily bode well for an Eagles team that's going to have to score points, I think, to win this game and go up against, you know, a Buccaneers defense that is formidable and rightfully so. So uh, it does feel like a stepping stone, Tim. It really does. It's been a solid season for the Eagles. I think Jalen Hurts has solidified himself there. I think he's going to be the quarterback moving forward. The Eagles believe he can be a franchise quarterback. And so – I think that's a good situation for him, and I think the Eagles will be positive moving forward. But again, much like the Raiders, I think their season ends coming up this weekend. I think that's the same situation for the Philadelphia Eagles because the Buccaneers are a superior team. And, oh, by the way, you've got the GOAT at quarterback and, uh, you know, who's is going to 
absolutely have no be no part of a situation where the Eagles upset the Buccaneers in the first round of playoffs. So I think that the Buccaneers will be fine. Uh, we'll get out of Raymond James Stadium uh, early Sunday morning with a win and move on to the next round. They were able to – Fournette has a hammy injury, able to rest this week, should be back in there next week. And, and you know, when we watched that game on Sunday night – Couple weeks back, where the the Saints shut out the Bucks, and you saw, yeah, really with the likes of Chris Godwin being out for the season, Evans was hurt at the time as well. A lot of question marks, but you've seen Mike Evans back, two touchdowns today. Gronk is back; he looks like he's healthy, uh, and it's just the ability that Tom can make. I won't say stars out of common man receivers, Tommy or uh, Chris, but Tyler Johnson has been huge since the injuries went down. Rashad Perryman, former first-round pick of the Ravens, is hang, hanging on in the league. He's, he's played a role in this. He finds roles for these guys to, to succeed in. And it looks like they're kind of getting, with the exception of Godwin, they're, they're really hitting that mark of being healthy at the right time. Yeah, quick take on that, Tim. Um, this Tampa Bay team, look, I, I, I think they're going to get by the Eagles, but they're going to run into some issues, I think, not having Chris Godwin in that lineup. I think that's going to be... Uh, a major detriment to the Buccaneers as they get deeper and deeper into the playoffs, him not being there. Uh, you do like the production you're getting out of Rob Gronkowski, another old guy, right, that's been able to have a pretty big-time season and has been a major factor, by the way, here recently in the last uh, few games of the season. So, um, And you do, and you brought, you brought up uh, Rashad Perriman. Tom Brady loves Rashad Perriman. Like, that's like, I think, obviously, with Godwin going down, he's going to need other weapons, right? But Tom Brady's been a huge fan of that guy because of his big presence out there, because he's you know a big target and he's someone who uh, can make big catches. So that's been a solid addition to this Buccaneers team from a receiving stand- standpoint. And you can make the argument that the acquisition of Behrman, uh could absolutely offset Chris Godwin and, uh, and, and keep the Bucs right there where they need to be as far as a contender in the NFC. Chris Wynn, Tim Ugglesby, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 989 FM, 1340 AM. We'll take our final timeout. We've got one more game to go through on the NFC side of it. We'll talk 49ers, Cowboys on the other side of the break. And I haven't decided yet. I'll I'll text Chris here and see where he wants to go in the last segment. Maybe we'll do UNLV basketball. Maybe we'll do Vegas Golden Knights hockey. We're going to flip a coin and we'll uh, close the show on that, but... Yeah, Cowboys Niners, our thoughts on the other side of it. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. One more game to go through here on the NFC side of the playoff bracket. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Tim Ugglesby, Chris Wynn with you tonight. Remember, next week off both nights, so we'll be back on the 22nd, I believe. 22nd, Saturday the 22nd. So, Chris, San Francisco will travel to Dallas, take on the Cowboys. Cowboys a three-point favorite in this matchup on Sunday afternoon. It'll be a 1.30 start. San Francisco gets in today with a come-from-behind win over the, those Rams we talked about earlier. They did it in overtime, held on for the win. Uh, your thoughts on this game? You know, initially for me, Dallas has kind of hit that gear again now that they're healthy. And we saw glimpses of it the last couple weeks. I know everybody loves San Francisco. They're exciting, right? 
but six of their ten wins, Chris, come against non-playoff teams. Are they really as exciting as we want them to be? Granted, they, they have two wins against the Rams this year. I'm not going to take that away from them. But six of the ten against non-playoff teams. Well, the reason why we think they're exciting, Tim, I think is, is the same reason we think of teams like the Rams, right, and the Buccaneers, is because they've got all these guys who should be superstars at the skill positions, right? Obviously, getting Dak Prescott back in the mix after the injury is huge for Dallas, right, because you, you feel like you get the ball rolling if you're that franchise and you're the fans there. But they've got the likes of Ezekiel Elliott, right? You've got a guy like CeeDee Lamb, who's an emerging star at the wide receiver position. You have Amari Cooper, who kind of gets the moniker of, you know, underappreciated wide receiver in the league, right? And so they got you know, all these pieces. you got the tight ends that, you know, the Schultzes and people like that. So I think it's justified that they're considered an exciting team, but then you look at the record, I mean, hey, uh, I got to be honest. I, I thought the Cowboys would be a playoff team this year, but given that they're in the NFC East, which has been the NFC least as of late, I thought they'd be getting in with like a ten and seven record, you know, or like a nine and eight, nine and eight record, something like that. You know, I thought that's what they would they would be at. And so, yeah, they've beaten some teams that are bad. I get that, but uh, you see the matchup here in the playoffs. They're going up against the San Francisco Forty Nine team. That's a team in transition. They really are. I mean, yes, you like some of the pieces they have in Ayuk and Samuel, and. You know, Mitchell, as far as the running back's concerned, but these aren't superstars. And the whole quarterback situation is up in the air, right? Jimmy Garoppolo, there's speculation that he's done in San Francisco, that he's no longer going to be the guy there, uh, regardless of the results here in the FC playoffs. I mean, you all see the feel that it's going to be Trey Lance's team moving forward. So, um, you know, while it was impressive to see the Niners win tonight, today, against the Rams and to finish the season 10-7 and and to kind of squeak into the playoffs, I don't put too much merit in it because I think it's a, it's a, like I just pointed out, a team that's going to be making significant changes in the offseason. And one of those teams is going to be the Niners. So I, I expect the Cowboys to win this football game. I think they'll move on. And it's going to create some very interesting and fun scenarios in the NFC playoffs moving forward. you got that short number there with Dallas favored by three. And uh, a total sitting right around 50, which I expect to go up because I think everyone's going to be betting the over in this game. But uh, I think that uh, it's a pretty fair number right there with uh, the Cowboys fair by a field goal. And I'm probably going to take a hard look at Dallas in this game. And uh, I'll probably bet that I'll probably feel pretty comfortable about it, to be quite honest with you, because I think that Dallas can absolutely handle San Francisco. And I think that offensively they're going to go out there and put numbers up. And – being that their defense, I think, is a little bit underappreciated, if you can say that, a defense that is underappreciated that has, you know, the likes of Parsons and some of these other guys on the team that that gets them that gets some attention. I think overall, as a defense, they are not thought of as one of the best in football, and I think they're going to kind of put that on display and, and kind of have that chip on their shoulder going into this game coming up on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh-uh. I'm not sure the answer to this, Chris. Maybe you are. When was the last time the Dallas Cowboys won a playoff game? Uh, it's probably been what six or seven years, something like that. Because they did beat they they played the Lions actually in a playoff <laughs> game. I want to say, I want to say 2013, 2012, maybe. But I, I, there's a chance they could have won the last three or four years. And 
we just didn't pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Or just don't didn't even know about it. Because I think they did win one game, maybe 2017, 2018, something like that. I don't have it right in front of me, so I'm not exactly sure. But let's be honest about Tim, right? This is the Cowboys team that has not been in the mix when it comes to winning a Super Bowl since the mid-90s, okay? We're talking 1994, 1995, 1996. That's the last time where they've been serious contenders to win a Super Bowl. And I'm not sitting here saying that they're contenders to win the Super Bowl this year because I don't think they are. But it would be a nice surprise, especially for those, you know, rabid Cowboy fans down there, if they were to be able to get in the mix and actually knock off the likes of a Los Angeles Rams or a Tampa Bay Buccaneers or, heaven forbid I say it, a Green Bay Packers, you know, you think, because if they are able to do that, then maybe, you know, uh, again, I'll be, I'll, I'll have a uh, egg on my face because I'll have been proven wrong that, uh, that Dallas, I, by saying that, I don't think Dallas is a super gold contender just yet. Mm-hmm. And you are correct. It was 2014 when they knocked off the Lions. 24-20 on wild card uh, Sunday to get that win. They follow that up by getting bounced by Aaron Rodgers in in the next week, the divisional playoffs. So it's it's been eight years, seven eight years, and for for a what's supposed to be one of the franchise models of, of the National Football League, it's, it's just you know you think about Jerry Jones just as a whole, right? He, he comes into the league, he buys the team, they win three Super Bowls, and he's been dry ever since. Cowboys, they're on the doorstep, Tim. Bottom line, they're on the doorstep. It's not 1995, though. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender yet, but I think they're closer than farther away to getting to that point. Well, let's end the show with a – let's kind of just throw it around here on a couple topics. We won't do UNLV basketball because of all the cancellations. There's not really been that many games since last weekend anyways. Um, Real quick on the Knights, how cool was it to see – Andre Fleury come back and get that win two nights ago here in Las Vegas. Not only, almost the big. I said it in our group chat. It's almost like he gave the big fu to Foley and McPhee and all those guys, wasn't it? What a what a game for him two nights ago. Yeah, it was it was special. It's been special the last what three nights where you had a chance to see Ryan Reeves as well as Gerard Gallant, and now of course Mark Andre Fleury come back into town. Now, I mean, I'm, look, I'm not trying to be cynical, Tim. I'm not trying to be anti-VGK in any way, shape, or form. But I, I, I have to get a chuckle as someone who's a fan of an original six team when we're talking about players that, you know, uh, an organization that's been around for five years, okay? Five years they've been around. And we're talking about, you know, uh, doing video tributes for the likes of Ryan Reeves you know, because uh, <laughs> because they came back after play. What I mean, Ryan Reeves has been here for for what a better part of four seasons. I get it, you know, but it, I mean, it. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's a way over the top, but I mean, it's just. Uh, but but it happened, you know, and it is, and and in Mark Andre Fleury's case, I mean, I get it because he's the, you know, the original draft pick in the expansion draft, and we're talking about a guy who was back in two thousand three, arguably, by the way the greatest NHL draft in history in 2003 with the amount of talent that came out of that draft was unbelievable. And Mark Rodney Fleury was the number one pick in that draft, but he was the take. He was, he was the signature star. He was the franchise player. He was the guy that, uh, you know, that is going to be associated. We talk about the early years of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to be talking about Mark Rodney Fleury as the superstar on this team. Right. So, 
it, it was apropos the uh, reception that he got and you know the tribute that he received here on Saturday. And uh, you talked about our group chat. I, I, I will, I'll be quick to point out. Somebody in the group chat picked a 2-1 final score, by the way, for the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain to figure out exactly who it was that, that made that call. But uh, uh, I believe uh, it's someone Chris familiar guy. to me. But anyway, they end up uh, getting the win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they end up getting the win, and uh, Mark andre Fleury has a return. And it was really cool to kind of see that. And the fans, you know, they are going to – he's forever going to be cemented. And I and look, I don't know about statues outside the arena or what exactly the final tribute will be with Mark Andre Fleury. I would suspect that he would get his number retired, right, and it would end up in the rafters, his number twenty nine, and he'll probably be the first player to get his number retired. But uh, he had it, you know, a, a, it was a solid part of his career. That was here in Vegas, and he was the guy, and uh, he was the man between the pipes and. And he was beloved much more so than for just his actual play on the ice. I mean, it was just for his persona, right? And for the way that he operated outside in the community and for, you know, how he dealt with people on a, on a, on a personal level, right? And on a person-to-person level, that's the kind of way he is an, under, he is an unassuming superstar and uh, was a major ambassador for the Vegas Golden Knights for the years of his year and uh, for the NHL, quite frankly, too. So it was really cool to kind of see him get back there and uh and uh get the get his his due from the uh fans here in las vegas sure thoughts so so there's a slow start to the season with injuries but yet here we are coming up to the uh, all-star break chris so it's on the horizon and the knights are in first place just like everybody thought they'd be Yeah, this is a Vegas Golden Knights team that has expectations of contending for a Stanley Cup championship. We all understand the wild circumstances surrounding the NHL as far as COVID-19 is concerned and, and just trying to get back into the mix of a regular NHL season from a schedule standpoint, right? Where you're making those East Coast road trips where you're, you know, you're playing more games against teams in your division as opposed to not in your, you know, just because you're in a certain geographical area playing all those teams, you know. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the injury aspect of it. It's something that every NHL team deals with, but when it came to the Vegas Golden Knights, you're dealing with big-time players, right? You're talking about guys who are going to be big-time contributors in the Max Pacioretty's, the William Carlson's, and obviously now you're about to get a guy in the mix who is a top-five NHL talent. Now, we know the deal, right, Tim, as fans of teams in the NHL. You just don't get guys like Jack Eichel on your team. You know, there's only a handful of those guys out there. The Nate McKimmons, you know, the obviously the, you know, Connor McDavid's, these these superstar type players. So I don't even think, the, the, you know, you VGK faithful out there understand what you're getting in the mix here. You're going to be getting a player that is going to be a absolute difference maker, okay? Someone who is going to be a guy that can take them not only from being a Stanley Cup contender, but possibly a Stanley Cup winning team. That's how good this guy is when he's when he's at his best, right? And when he's physically right. Now, what's the big question, right, Tim? The big question is how's he going to respond to that surgery? Being he's what the only hockey player I believe that's even gotten a surgery, and so we don't really know how his body's going to respond or physically exactly what is going to transpire with him. 
That being said, um, if all things go to plan and if, uh, and all things considered as far as uh, his rehab and, and how he's able to get himself back, all sides point that it's going to be outstanding for the Vegas Golden Knights. And yes, will they have to maybe deal with some personnel issues regarding salary cap and maybe have to, you know, uh, maybe end up losing someone the likes of a Riley Smith or, you know, some, one of the players that's going to be on the third or fourth line might have to go. Yeah, maybe. But that, but that, that doesn't uh, speak to how a big a factor it is getting Jack Eichel into your lineup. And if Pete DeBoer can pull all the right, you know, can, uh, can pull all the right punches and make all the right moves, I think it could be huge. And you could see the Vegas Golden Knights hoisting the Stanley Cup coming up this spring. That's how big of an impact I think he can make. Now, does it happen? We'll wait and see. I'm not out there going predicting that Vegas is going to win at all, but I think it's a very it's it, it's it's something that Vegas Golden Knight fans should anticipate as a great thing, right, Tim? They should be fired up that they're getting the likes of Jack Eichel in the mix pretty soon, and uh, sooner than later, by the way. And and it should be it's going to be it's going to be exciting for Vegas Golden Knight fans moving forward. Now, this guy, obviously, a lot of things up in the air, right, Tim? When it comes to the schedule because you're going to have a condensed schedule now or you're going to have the, the shadow schedule they're calling it or whatever because the Winter Olympics is not going down as far as NHL players playing there, uh, at least for the most part. So we'll see how how the NHL works with all that and does all that. But from a Vegas Golden Knights standpoint, the fans, the organization, got to be pretty pumped because you're getting the influx of talent back. And as guys get rested and guys get healthier, it's going to even make them more formidable as a team out there in the ice. Yeah. So let's stay local to close it out tonight. We'll go back to the WNBA. Here we go. Big news last week. As some, kind of, some kind of big news, right, Tim? Some it's kind, kind of, big, of big news. Kind of big. Kind yeah. of big. And, you know, I know there may not be a lot of WNBA fans listening, but it's, they're getting ready to crank up here with – uh, free agency starting next week. We saw Phoenix Mercury coach, former coach Sandy Brondello, now take the job in New York. And you and I sat in a press conference after game five of the semifinals of the WMA playoffs yes, back in did. October. Yep. After she did a masterful job shutting down the Aces and Wilson and Cambage and Plum and moving into the finals. And now she's going to New York. Well, we're going to have a new coach as well, Chris. Bill Lambeer is going to step up to the front office. And coming in to replace him, a legend, WNBA legend, and Becky Hammond. This was a huge, huge signing that happened. Actually, it happened right before the end of the, right before the beginning of the of the new year. Oh, there's no question, right, Tim? And look, you know, it's kind of a big deal when there's NBA news that's getting, you know, that's getting talked about on on you know day to day talk shows, national talk shows, and that's exactly what the situation was. Becky Hammond. Obviously, you know, her, her resume speaks for itself as far as a player. She's one of the best players in WNBA history, multiple-time All-Star, uh, was a fixture on two franchises, mainly the New York Liberty, as well as the San Antonio uh, Silver Stars, which were obviously now become the Las Vegas Aces. And uh, just a side note for me, personally, I got a chance to cover her when she was playing with the Liberty back in the late 90s because I was, I was covering the Orlando Miracle down in Florida. Uh, the Nikisha Sales 
uh, teams down there with the uh, Orlando Miracle franchise that was around for about, what, four or five years before they moved up and became the Connecticut Sun. But uh, she had a story career as, as a player and then moved into the coaching race. Now, it was an interesting story, right, Tim, because – she is really the first woman from a, uh, you know, to, to break the glass ceiling when it came to NBA coaches, right? And I'm talking about NBA head coaches because she doesn't have an NBA head coaching job yet. But she was getting all kinds of respect, and rightfully so, because she's on that San Antonio Spurs staff, right, with Greg Popovich. And you're talking about one of the gold standards when it comes to coaching staffs in the NBA with Greg Popovich, my guy who's won multiple championships, right? And, uh, has had multiple assistant coaches go on to be head coaches in the NBA. So she was on the right track, on the right track, and the right uh, trajectory to to getting that shot that, that really the old boys network and a lot of people in the NBA never thought she'd get, right, as far as being a head coach in the NBA. And she was actually the first woman to get legitimate interviews with teams in the NBA this past this season. I believe she was a, a candidate in Portland. With the Trailblazers, the, uh, and there's other uh, teams around the league that were also interviewing her as well too. And uh, but she was a serious candidate for that job in Portland. Uh, did not end up getting the job, obviously, and now is an assistant still with the Spurs. But uh, of course, you, you mentioned the news breaking. Now she's going to be the uh, head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. I was a little bit surprised too, Tim, because I, I mean, we covered the team pretty closely, right, during the season, and I. I didn't really have any indication that Bill Lambeer was thinking about stepping aside, right? Or that was not was was thinking maybe that uh, he didn't want to be a WNBA head coach anymore. Were you? Did you get some indication during this past season that 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 Bill was thinking about stepping down? No, not at all. And you know, I spoke to our our buddy John Jiggy Maxwell over with the Aces, and he said that just the right opportunity happened for the franchise. And, and you know, it gives Bill it gives Bill a chance to refresh, recharge those batteries, uh, Chris, and play some golf. You know, that's what he likes to do. But I think it was just it's a, it's a landmark situation in that you just spoke of what Becky was able to do. And I, and I guess here in the last couple minutes before we take off, it poses a question of it's a great game for the WNBA. It's a, it's a great uh, situation for the Aces. But where does that leave her career-wise? In, in possibly obtaining a future NBA head coaching job. Do you think maybe she just said, screw it, it's going to be too tough for me to try to get in that way, so I'm going to go back and help this league succeed? Yeah, it brings up an interesting question. I know we're coming down to the end of the show here, but I don't want to take too much time. But, yeah, it, it, it does make you wonder, does she want to go back to the NBA? And does this something? is this something that strengthens her? In, in that capacity, right? If she if she does want to go back to the NBA, I don't think any of us, none of us, have any doubts, right? Or, or think that she wouldn't be a great WNBA head coach, right? She was a great WNBA player. This is her. I mean, she this is where she made her bones in this league as a player. So I think that absolutely she could be. Uh, she'll she'll be outstanding, and, it, and it's a great get, I think, for the Las Vegas Aces and for this organization to get her as a head coach and. It's going to be a little bit different approach, obviously, than Bill Beer, but I think it's something that could be uh, outstanding when, when it's all said and done. But that being said, I mean, I think it does put a question mark into whether or not she would, you know, end up going back to the NBA. Maybe because if she turns out to be a successful WNBA head coach, maybe she's she's found her niche and maybe she'll stay here, you know, and just do that. And so uh, it's tough to kind of, you know, to take out our our magic ball, you know, and try to and uh, 
and try to look into the future and see exactly what she's going to do. But that being said, I mean, in the short term, it's great for the Las Vegas Aces, I think, for the organization because she's somebody that brings all kinds of credibility. She will be respected across the board with uh, those players in that locker room. And you've got a solid locker room, obviously, led by the, you know, the likes of, uh, of someone like Asia Wilson, who is a, you know, a solid person as well as a basketball player. So I think it's a, it's a great fit and it, it bodes well for the Las Vegas Aces moving forward. But again, uh, and to kind of wrap this up from my perspective, I don't know how this bodes well for her NBA coaching prospects, because I thought that she was on a trajectory already to, to at least get an opportunity, right. To maybe get an NBA head coaching job. Uh, I, I just don't know if those avenues are, are going to be any opened up any wider because of uh, making the move back to yeah. the WNBA for her. Yeah. Well, their loss is our gain here for the future in Las Vegas. And uh, maybe she can bring the first professional sports championship to the city, Chris. And it's going to be fun to see if she can. I, 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 there's, there's no doubt, right, from a personnel standpoint, for the Las Vegas Aces, they're one of the better teams in the league, yep. and they'll continue to be. It's, uh, it'll be interesting, to say the least, to see exactly how much uh, a change in head coaching comes into play when you're talking about this Aces team in the WNBA. Brian, hit that music. Chris, let everybody know where they can reach you over on social media. And I, I think you're popping up on a show s- someday this week. I'm pretty sure you are, buddy. Yeah, you can find me all over social media. You can find me at Christian Min on Twitter at CWin77 on Instagram, on Facebook at Christian WN. You can find me over on SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson on KDWN weekdays. Uh, usually I'm on Tuesdays and sometimes on Fridays as well, too. Um, I also was on Sportsbook Radio with, with uh, the late Brian, Brian Blessing. Rest in peace to Brian on Fridays on that show over on uh, KSHP here in Las Vegas. And uh, you can find me all across the dial. And uh, always great to be a part of the Heat Wave Sports family with Tom Barton and Tim Oglesby and the rest of the Fox Sports Radio crew here in Las Vegas. For Chris Wynn, for Brian Tim Mungles, we have a great sports week. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time on the 22nd. We'll talk to you then. So have a good one. Have a great sports two weeks. We'll talk to you again on the 22nd. Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio. Good night.